who, I know I asked you earlier, but who's excited for Mardi Gras? It's coming. It's coming fast. <laughs> there is no slowing down at this point. We're also past probably the middle of the trimester. What is it, week eight? Week nine? One of those. Either week eight or week nine. Yes, and after Mardi Gras, we will close out this trimester. It goes so fast, but I know that when you're in the middle of it, doing ministry, doing your papers, it could seem like it's just taking forever to end. But there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There is an end in sight. Amen? Amen. Today, I'm going to be talking about running your race well, and we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Thank you for helping me. Oscar. So this is a letter from Paul to the people of Corinth. If you read in Corinthians just a few chapters earlier, you'll see him dealing with some messy church people, correcting a lot of things that were going on in the church of Corinth. Things like incest, sexual immorality, Christians acting crazy, suing one another, having issues with one another. So he's teaching them these things. He's writing them a letter to correct their behavior in hopes that they would turn into mighty women and men of God and follow the ways of God, right? And in the midst of it, he gives this practical lesson for them. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24, it says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Come on, say forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Come on, there's a lot in there right now. And we want to be able to take that practical lesson and apply it to our lives in this day and age and we live in a world that understands things like sports, right? We understand races. We understand football. We just had the Super Bowl. Can you imagine, do you think that that team, that one, if they were lazy, didn't care about winning, didn't go into strict training and, and run and have a, a clean diet and do all of those things, do you think they would have won the Super Bowl to get that medal? No. They wouldn't. They would not have won. And you, Bible college students, is there someone that can come in here and fail and not do their homework and not do all the classes that they are required and still walk across a graduation stage and get a diploma? No. You got to put in the work. You got to do what's required of you. You got to have strict training. You have to be disciplined in yourself to get the prize at the end of this. And how sad is it that we see in the world people busting their butts, people like people in sports, the Cubs, the Bears, whoever, and I am a Cubs and a Bears fan, but man, they are giving it their all. And then we look at the church, we look at Bible college students, and we're just giving half. 
They're going for a prize that will burn in the end of it. And the prize that you will win at the end of this is eternal life. Something that no one will ever be able to take away from you. And you're still not giving it your all. We have to run the race better than the people of this world. Come on, it's time to get a pep in our step. Give it our all. Go into strict training. Do what you got to do to know that the prize that you receive at the end of this, eternal life as you come into glory, eternity with Jesus, it will be worth it. Every single thing that you did will be worth it in that moment. But never lose sight of the prize, eternity. It's about eternity, being with Jesus forever. No one can take that prize away from you. It will not burn in the end. Come on, you hear me this morning? That's right, come on. We each have a race to run. Your race may look a little different than mine. We each have our own race to run. And we will each receive the prize. So let's not be naive to think that Paul was only talking about uh, physical things. It's a spiritual lesson. We understand that everything in the physical is really a spiritual lesson, right? We could take it and apply it to our spiritual lives. But how do we do it? How do we win our race? How do we run well through this life that we've been given? Let's go to Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. The chapter before in Hebrews 11 is a chapter of faith. It's an amazing chapter that talks about all the different men and women of God that have come before us and done well on their race. They, they had faith, and it was credited to them, credited to them as righteousness. When you have time, I want you to read through that. It talks about people like Abraham and Enoch and Abel and Noah and Moses and Rahab, men and women of God that have come before us. And in chapter 12, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all the people he just mentioned in chapter 11. Now you here in the present 2020, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses like Abraham and Moses and Noah and all the men of old and, and all the women of God of old that have come before you, you are surrounded by them today. What are you to do now that you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses? Now you go and you throw off everything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you. And you run your race with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
So three ways to run our race well. Number one is obey God fully. This is the part that talks about get rid of every hindrance and every sin that so easily entangles. And I understand that not every hindrance in our lives is necessarily sin. And this is where you and I, as women and men of God, have to have a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because he leads you and guides you and things that are okay for me not be, might be okay for you. And things that are okay for you might not be okay for me. It could be a hindrance in my life or vice versa. So you have to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and stay in step with the Holy Spirit. And he will show you the things that are hindering your relationship with him. Why are you not going deeper? Why are you not understanding more things? He will show you. So when your hindrances are not obvious, like written in Galatians 5, you need to go to Jesus. But see, this is where you need to be careful because once he highlights that hindrance for you, and if you don't obey him, then it turns into sin because now you're in disobedience. Those hinders can turn in, hindrances can turn into sin very carefully. I mean very easily, not carefully. Be careful. <laughs> it can turn into sin very easily. God will lead you, and he will give you exactly where you need to step. Stay in step with the Spirit. We have to obey God completely. There's examples all throughout the Old Testament that are awesome. There are awesome men and women of God in the Old Testament. But there's also those same awesome men and women of God that made a lot of mistakes. And I know that we can look at their lives like, King David and Solomon and even Saul. Saul became king. He was anointed as king. And after he was anointed, it says in the beginning that he walked away from God and God actually softened his heart and the presence of God was on him. Saul had a choice. He was king now. God had given him everything. He had the spirit of God on him. He had a choice of what to do next. He didn't have to go and disobey God. God told him to go to the Amalekites and destroy the entire land. Everything, everyone and everything in the Amalekites' land, destroy it. So what did he do? He went to destroy it, but he let the king live, and some of his men took the good, the good cattle and the good sheep. In that moment, God's hand was against him. He disobeyed God, and it wasn't something huge. It was like, man, that cattle looks good. I'm just going to take that for myself. I'm not going to completely obey. I'm going to obey him half-heartedly. I'm going to take a shortcut right here because I see a little, a little sliver that I can get through. That did not turn out well for him. David, King David, though he's one of my favorite people in the Old Testament, and God speaks so well of him when he's talking to the other kings, like, man, you guys are not like that guy. He was awesome. You're not. <laughs> but David was a man after God's own heart. God had given him everything. He was anointed as king. He had favor with God and with men. He had wives. He had con concubines. I always say that wrong. Concubines, right? Concubines. He had everything he ever wanted. But then... What? He didn't have Bathsheba, so he wanted her too. So he goes and gets her. Then he becomes an adulterer and a murderer in a moment. Going from having favor of God, everything that you would ever want as a man, to a murderer. 
Now God's hand was against him because of that, though he repented, which is great. So yes, we can understand from this story that God is a God of restoration. And I know that so much more than many of you in this room. God is a God of restoration. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of second, third, and fourth chances. But we don't want to just take these stories of men in the Bible and say, I could do as they do, and God is going to restore me. What we want to do is also see it as an example of what not to do. Don't be in a place of favor with God and then squander it because there's something that you see, the lust of the eyes or the lust of flesh, and squander your calling because of it. Take it as an example of what not to do. Stay in step with the Spirit and throw off every hindrance. Throw off every sin that so easily entangles you. Solomon was another one. When Solomon became king, he is the son of David. God asked him, what do you want? I will give you anything. And what did he ask for? Wisdom. And God was pleased with him that he asked for wisdom. You could have asked for silver and gold and all of these things, but you asked for wisdom. Now I'm going to give you all of it. I'm going to give you wisdom plus riches plus wealth, everything that you ever want. But you know what he told him? Do not intermarry. And see, I think this is a great example just to stop right here because I know people have arguments of, Man, in the Old Testament, they had all these wives and they had all this stuff. Yeah, but they had all those wives, but it still wasn't enough. Because when you're feeding the flesh like that, it will never be enough. You'll have the finest women over here, about 700 of them, and one more will walk by and you'll want her too. What stops the flesh? Nothing. We don't do that. Amen? God has given you one wife, one man, and you can be completely satisfied in that one person. But Solomon, a man of great wealth, of great wisdom, rebuilt the temple, had the favor of the Lord. And you read through his story, and it's so great in the beginning. And then at the end, but he had 700 wives and all these women from all different parts of the countries that he told him not to partake in. And he told them and he warned them, if you marry these women, they're going to turn your heart hard. You're going to turn away from me and start serving other gods. And he didn't take the warning serious, and he did it. And by the end of his life, he was. He was worshiping other gods because these women had turned his heart hard. They started their race well. But it's not only about how you start. It's how you are in the middle, and it's also how you finish. And that brings me to my next point of perseverance. How do we get through this? We throw off hindrances. We throw off sin. And then it says, and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We persevere through trials, through temptations, through everything that life throws at us. How? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. And I know that that's not rocket science. I know it's something that we say all the time, but we're serious. There's never a time that a person, if you're watching their life and they fall into sin, you cannot point at them and say, oh, they were keeping their eyes on Jesus. You can't keep your eyes on Jesus and fall into sin. It doesn't work like that. The way to not fall into sin is to keep your eyes on Jesus. Let's go to James 1, 2 through 4. 
I want you guys not to get sick of hearing the same type of lessons of fear God and shun evil and keep your eyes on Jesus and these things that you will hear for the rest of your life. Do not get sick and tired of hearing them. We have examples all across, even in this city alone, of men and women of God who have heard these lessons over and over again and probably even taught them to other people, and yet they have squandered their call. Yet they haven't feared God. Yet they kept their eyes off of Jesus and put it on themselves and became self-centered and greedy. And they hurt people. Come on. Many of them, these men and women that we can point to and say, I don't want to be like that. They were Bible college students like you. They sat in chapels like you hearing another person preach the same stuff over and over again. Hey, shun, fear God, shun evil, fear God, shun evil, fear God, shun evil. And yet, as they walked and ran their ways, they did not fear God and shun evil. Don't ever get sick of hearing that. Come on, James 1 Two through four, it says, consider it pure joy. Come on, I'm going, to try to, I'm going to try to say this without looking. You said, okay. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because we know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> Thank you. Come on. That is an amazing verse. And why? Why does it say to have joy when you're facing trials? Because you will never be mature if you don't persevere. If you keep on facing trials and temptation and keep on falling into the same stuff over and over again and not persevering, you will never get on the other side of it. And when the next trial, the next temptation comes, you're going to fall right back into it. See, you get stronger. You get more mature as you're able to resist the devil and he flees from you. The next time something comes, you're like, I got this. I was able to do it back then. I'll do it right now. And you keep getting stronger and more mature and more complete and more mature. There's never a time that you persevere that you will not gain maturity. Trials will come in your life, and they come in all shapes and sizes. Sometimes they come by surprise. You never know what's around the corner. That is definitely true for all of us in this room. We have all faced our own trials and tribulations. I mean, we have brothers and sisters across the, the world that are dealing with different types of tribulation and trials, right? There are people dying for their faith right now. And this applies to them just as it applies to us. Persevere. Go through it. Come on. We have joy when a trial comes. I see a trial. Okay, I got joy. Because we understand that the trial will produce in us something great. Come on. Why was Jesus able to endure and persevere through the pain and the shame of the cross? Why was Jesus able to say, I'm about to die on that cross, but I'm going to persevere anyway, and I'm going to go and do it? Because he was able to see past the cross and what would be produced through it. 
And what was produced through it? Salvation, forgiveness, an invitation for all men and women of every kind to come through the blood of Jesus to have a relationship with God. He was able to see past the cross and the joy set before him. He endured every pain. He endured every whip. He endured everybody spitting on him and mocking him because he was able to see what was going to be produced through it. Same thing for us when the trials and the tribulations come. Oh, I know that there's joy behind this trial. I know that there's a victory behind this trial. Woo! That's number two. <laughs> number one, throw off every hindrance and sin that entangles. Number two, persevere through trial and tribulation and temptation. And number three, don't grow tired and weary. Verse three says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow tired, you will not grow weary and lose heart. When we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can't grow tired. You won't grow weary. Come on. When our eyes are fixed on him, we will keep running. We will see the joy in trouble. And instead of growing tired, we will be more alive than we ever have before. And I know this personally through my life, going through a time of cancer. In the natural, my body was tired. And I should have been tired. I should have been weary, but I was the most alive than I ever had been before. My spirit was so alive. And why was it? Because I fixed my eyes on Jesus. And though I face trouble in my body, nothing can touch me on the inside. I was strong. I was full of joy. And I was more alive on the inside than I looked like I was on the outside. Come on. There was not a day that my spirit was tired and dry. My body may have been full of disease, but my spirit was not. And now I have a maturity that was produced in me through that trial that I did not have before I faced it. I had to persevere. I had to go through that. I see things differently now, and it will be the same way for you. It might not be cancer, and I pray to God that it's not. But whatever trial and, and thing you face, every temptation, whatever it is, you will produce maturity after it if you persevere with your eyes on Jesus. It is a promise, and you won't grow tired. You won't grow weary. You'll look back and be like, I don't know how I made it through, but I did because it was my eyes were on Jesus. He was walking with me. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Can you imagine two people running a race and one is wearing their, their uh, running shorts, whatever those are called, running shorts, and a, and a, and a light t-shirt, and the other one comes with his jeans and boots and his heavy winter coat. Who do you think is most likely to win that race? Who do you think is most likely to give up? Come on, you have, you can't come to a race with those hindrances on you. 
If you come to the race with the hindrances or the sin or the weight on you, you're going to get tired. You're going to get weary. You're going to give up. The other one will be going, gone. They will win. So it's all connected here. You throw off every hindrance and sin, and you persevere without the extra weight. And then you don't get tired of doing it. Never grow tired of doing the two first things that I talked about. Never grow tired of getting rid of the hindrances. Never get tired of overcoming temptation. Never get tired of cutting off sin at the root. Never get tired of resisting the devil so that he can flee from you. Never get tired of persevering through trial. Never get tired of doing those good things because we know that at the proper time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Come on, let's not grow tired in living holy, surrendering our will and our life to Jesus. Never take our eyes off of Jesus, and we will run our race well for a prize that will last forever. Amen? Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise God. Come on, we're going to take some time. We're going to pray, and then we're going to break out and have you guys have some accountability time together because we have some extra time here. But God is good. I pray that that word encourages you today. Never get tired. Jesus, we thank you so much. Lord, there's so many of us in this room already that have been doing this for years, throwing off hindrances, saying no to sin and persevering, God. But I pray for a strength that they've never had before to raise up in them right now, God, to keep persevering, to keep pushing through. And even when they don't see the harvest, even when they don't think it's producing anything, God, I pray, Lord, that they would keep going anyway because we know that your word will not return void. We know that the promises that you've given us, that we will produce maturity as we persevere. God, it will come to pass. Jesus, Jesus, we thank you for your word that is alive and active. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness and your goodness in our lives and your faithfulness. Jesus, Jesus, we want to run our race well. I want to run my race well, God. Jesus, shora katatata roko tereketi erakato. I love the the analogy you gave in the beginning about the burn, without even knowing that that was my message, pretty much. Jesus, come on! There is a harvest right behind your trial. Keep pushing. Keep going. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on Jesus.